Yeah, I know. But it's not as bad as it looks. Because actually, can we get a close-up on Dr. Peget? <laughs> she's actually there. She's just invisible. <laughs> Aren't you? She says no. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> well, <clears throat> a lot of people are wondering, could I actually do this alone? Is it possible? And so we're going to find out, okay? <clears throat> but, you know, alone is terrifying. It's like up here and people are watching. And, and so I'm going to call in my big sister. Here she is. Actually, this is my big sister's work product. That's right. It turns out that there's more of me than just me. There's also big sister Susan. And she's one to two years older than me. And I remember when I was very young, it was so frustrating because I was two years younger than her, and then I was just one year younger, and then she got two years again. <laughs> it used to really bother me. But anyway, Susan is a wonderful person, and she has put out a book, which she has sent to me, and I really like. It's called Talking Tulips. And this book is one that uh, is, a, is a fun story about my father. In fact, if you look inside her book, there he is. There's a page with a picture of him. Now, uh, this is a book about my father's experience during uh, World War II, where he was on a, a B-17 crew. And I'd like to show you another picture of him where he's actually, you know, ready to go. There he is. That's my dad. Yeah, when he was 19 years old, and he was uh, called over to Europe to help with the, the effort there, the conflict. And um, I raised him pretty good. <laughs> he's, he's a really good dad. And our family uh, really loves and respects him. And I think this book is, is a tribute that Susan made to, uh, you know, to really reach out and express our appreciation to him. And this is a story that he told us as we were growing up that was kind of a treasure. Now, over in Europe at that time, there was a, a huge military struggle going on. And planes would come flying across, the sound alarms, everyone would run to a shelter, and they were very destructive. They dropped bombs and a lot of things. Well, it turned out that uh, when they would fly over to Europe, quite often these airplanes, like the one my father in, was in, would fly over Holland. And the people in Holland probably didn't like seeing these big, heavy aircraft coming over. And so uh, they heard that the people in Holland were starving. And, you know, they, excuse me for getting a little emotional, because uh, this, this story reminds me so much of my dear father. But the people raised tulips over in Holland, and so when they ran out of food, they started eating flowers. And they were, they were really kind of struggling. So as they were flying over, my dad got this idea, why don't we drop food? Seemed like a good idea. And so 
The, the story in this book is about these big bombers coming over, and this time, some of them flew really, really low, and they dropped out. These K-rations. Now, I'm, I'm not sure K-rations were food, but that's what they fed the soldiers. And my dad said that uh, they used to, during the war, they give the soldiers cigarettes. And he didn't smoke, so he would trade all of his cigarettes to the other soldiers for chocolate. And he put together a whole big load of chocolate, and they bombed it out on the people there. And the, the real interesting part of this story is a couple of days later, when they came flying over, I have to show you one of the pictures in here. They came flying over, and this would be a little hard to see on the camera, but they, they had clipped a giant, thanks, Yanks. Where are the Yanks? A giant Yanks in the flowers to thank them for that nice thing. So anyway, uh, would you like to meet Susan? Susan? Come and say hi. I told her, send me, send me a video. So she did. Let's roll it. Hey, Roger, thank you for helping to share Dad's book. May we all choose to be grateful like Meta and her kinfolk, no matter what happens. <gasps> She's really nervous. <laughs> I really like that. Yeah, she's, she's really nervous. And, uh, you know, this, this is a wonderful book. And uh, for anyone that's interested in reading this, and I think it's kind of a fun thing, I put a bunch of these in our store so you can get some. They're also on Amazon and in the big bookstores, so you can find them if you want them. But it's, it's kind of a fun story. And the ones, I, I only have uh, 100 of them, but the ones in the store I ask her to sign. So if you want a signed book by Susan, here she is. Here she is signing them for us. So there they are. So those are all the tulips. And I just want to say that it's in their honor that we have tulips tonight. Is anyone noticing that I'm not quite as resilient <laughs> doing this solo? I'm doing pretty good, aren't I? Hmm. Why don't we run the intro again? <laughs> And there she is. Welcome back. So Did good to see me? you. So Did good you to miss see me? You. But I must say, you look very good in Visible, too. Yeah. It's just not the same. I hope not. Susan and I feel so nervous without you. I was missing being here. Yeah. I would like to present this copy of her book to you. It is a treasure, and I'm very proud of her. Yeah, she's been a good example. She kept me on the straight, narrow path. She did? She tried. All by herself? <laughs> she tried. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, the science fair is around the corner. And a lot of students are writing me and saying, do you have any ideas of what we can do for a science fair they project? Mm -hmm. And so I have come up with one. Oh, wow. It's kind of a sourpuss project. <laughs> this, this is actually a, a lemon. Okay, and you can see I put some nails and 
and wires stuck into it. This piece of copper wire, this is a galvanized nail, this is an aluminum nail. And I ha also have a meter here, and I'm gonna go ahead and, and hook this meter up. Oops, let's get it a little bit closer. I'm gonna hook this wire up to the copper, so it goes over to the meter, and I'm going to hook the other one up to these other probes. But I want you to get a good shot of the meter. Can you see it there? It's got a little needle, so that when there's a voltage, the needle jumps. I'm gonna hook this up, but I want you to keep watching the meter, and here we go. Do you see it jump a little bit? Mm -hmm. Let me try it on this screw. So, it's jumped up showing that we are generating electricity. And we're generating electricity just by sticking wires into this lemon. <laughs> now, remember, we learned how to generate electricity by using magnets to push electrons down a wire, but now we're generating electricity chemically. And yeah, inside this lemon is lemon juice, mm -hmm. which is acidic, and these metals have chemical properties that I'm not gonna say too much about how it works tonight because that could be a science fair. Now let me ask you some questions. Do you think that the voltage, the amount of, of force of electrons would change if we used a different fruit than lemons? What if we used oranges? What if we used potatoes? What if we used beets? And if so, why would it change? Another thing, this is copper and this is a galvanized screw. Those are two kinds of metal. What if we use different kinds of metal? Would the voltage change? And if it does, why? You cannot hide behind the flowers. We're getting people complaining. We sure are. <laughs> the camera crew. Look, you're still behind the flowers. We've got to do something. That's better. That looks good. Camera crew's complaining. I think that's funny. <laughs> you know, um, Personal messages. we really ought to have a camera up here to see all these smiling faces. We should. Yeah. Isn't live wonderful? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's, by the way, it's good to have all of you here today. So this is an idea for a science fair project. We don't have a lot of time left. How much do we have left? April 27th. So it's time to start getting serious about this, but this is something that you could do as a science fair project. Now, the fact that sticking metal probes into a piece of fruit generates electricity is interesting. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? It's kind of like this is a battery. How long will it run? How long will it generate that power? How much voltage can you generate? Now this one's just generating a fractional volt. It's about uh, two-tenths of a volt. But what if we took 10 lemons and put them in series? Then you get enough power to run a light, an LED light. And how long would it stay lit? And where's the energy coming from? It can't just come from nowhere. And there's a lot of really interesting science we can get out of here, isn't there? That's neat, yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. would, you like to, uh, would you like to hold it? Yeah, I would like to hold it. You know, here. <laughs> Look, I'm all ready for the science fair. All ready. I yes, love you it. Are. Look at that. It actually, that is neat you know, how it works. Um, I love science. I do too. And I know she does too, and it really is fun. Okay, but I've got yeah, lots of room now.
So I brought something else. Some of you may remember this. This is a Tesla coil. It was named after Nikolai Tesla because he was the guy that invented it. And remember, if you run alternating current, that's electricity that goes on and off, on and off, on and off, fast. If you run alternating current into a coil of wire, it creates a pulsating magnetic field. And then if you put another coil near it, the magnetic field transfers over to the other coil and power comes out. And here I've got one coil that's little and one coil that's big. And what happens when it jumps across, if there are more windings on the output coil, the voltage goes up. Like if there's 10 times as many windings on the output coil as there is on the input coil, the voltage will be 10 times higher. In a Tesla coil, it's a lot more than that. In fact, the voltage on the inside coil gets so high that the Tesla coil will actually send sparks out. And some people, like Robert Goka, make <laughs> giant coils that they use to make lightning to test out airplanes for safety in a storm. So here is a Tesla coil. And if I turn this on, we should be able to see a little spark at the top. Are you ready? I'm ready. All mm -hmm. right, let's see if we can see it. Oh, it's on. can see it. Can anybody sure. see the little yes. spark? There it is. Look at that. We're going to focus on it. Yeah, see it kind of going spark there. And that's because. And that's because. Yeah, and that's because. And that's because. Why, yeah. The voltage is so all. high that it's able to break down the air and travel through the air. But that takes a very, very high voltage. Today, we're not going to talk too much about the Tesla coil. We've done that again, and we'll do it some more. Mm -hmm. But what we're going to do instead is we're going to talk about this little cube. Oh, Isn't this that cute? is neat. This is a cute, 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 cute anyway. It's a cute cube. <laughs> if you can see this writing, which I doubt you can. I can maybe hold it real careful. Oh, can you read it there? It says neon. Neon is a really, really interesting gas. And inside of here, there's a little tube, glass filled with neon, neon gas. Wow, we need to talk about neon. Neon is a gas made up of atoms. And neon atoms are made up of protons and neutrons in the middle and electrons on the outside. And the electrons on the outside are floating around, but if you hit them with energy, like, say, coming from a Tesla coil, then they jump out. They get excited. It's like, remember the rubber ball on a string on a rubber, uh, a ball on a rubber string? You swing around your head and it goes in a circle, but if you swing it faster, it goes bigger and uh -huh. bigger because uh -huh. it stretches the string. Well, that's what happens with these electrons. If you put more energy in, they make bigger orbits, they have more energy. But then, after a while, they get tired of that big orbit, and so they decay, or they fall down to their normal orbits. And when that happens, they have to get rid of the energy, and they do it by creating photons of light. And so as they're falling down to the other orbital, which they do in a fractional part of a second, they give off light. That light is what we use to make neon signs. And neon signs are still a little bit popular. They used to be a lot more. Now we make a lot of LED lights, which are kind of neat. But neon then gives off a glow. So if I were to turn this Tesla coil on and put this tube next to it, 
it should excite the helium atoms, cause them to get excited, and in just a teeny fraction of a second, they fall back down and they give off light, and we should be able to see it, shouldn't we? Now, an interesting thing, a lot of gases will do this, but every gas gives off a different color, depending on the electrons in the outer orbit. And when they make neon signs, sometimes they even combine two gases so they get a color mix, like if you get a blue gas, and if you get a red gas and put them both in there, you get purple. Same with watercolors. And if you put two more colors in, you get brown. <laughs> you get brown. Yeah, okay, good. I've made that color yeah, a know that. And if you put all the colors in your crown, in your yep. water paints together, you definitely you get, get brown. Brackish okay. brown. <laughs> and if you, no matter what you add after that, you still get brown. Yes. Which shows brown is the king of the paints. Yeah, <laughs> it is. And I think that's why chocolate's brown, because chocolate is wonderful. <laughs> okay. Oh, don't get me started about chocolate. I love good, chocolate. Okay, so we could try this. Now, I'm, I'm going to show it to you. I hope you can, can see it. I think you can. First, we'll turn the Tesla coil back on. There it goes. And so I'm going to put this right over the near here without electrocuting myself. Can you see oh, it blow? Oh, yes. That see is how neat. that goes off? That's so cool. On. I love it. And off. And you see, it's completely encased. So there's, there's no wire hooking it up. That is neat. And that is kind of fun, isn't it? Okay, we'll come back to that. But I want to talk about it for a minute because this is a, a phenomena that is really neat. And a lot of my science experience has had to do with this technology. Lasers came out when I was really young, and I read about them, and I was going to be a scientist when I got really big. Yeah. Turned out I didn't get that big, but <clears throat> you're perfect. Come on. I wanted to be a scientist, and lasers were really exciting, and so I read about them, and I found out how they work. They make lasers out of helium. In fact, they made some of the early ones with helium gas in a tube. Now, a tube with helium hooked up to some source of power is a neon light. It's not a laser. A laser shoots a beam out of coherent monochromatic radiation. Coherent means it's all in waves, and coherent and monochromatic means it's just one color. And you can focus it, and you can cut metal and do a lot of things. Well, that doesn't happen with just a neon light. That only happens with a laser. So how do you make a laser? You start by having a tube full of neon gas. Now, when you excite the atoms on the neon to go in these outer orbits and they fall back down, they give off their light. The problem is they fall back so fast from the neon atoms that they, they cannot laze. And so if you're going to make a laser, you have to put an impurity in with the neon. And the impurity they they put in, in the early lasers was helium, helium gas. If you put a little helium in with the neon, it does something magical to these electrons. It makes them stay in their excited state longer. Not a lot longer, but enough longer. And so what happens is you start getting a lot of atoms excited and 
you have to reach a thing that scientists call a population inversion. In fact, there's got to be a lot of excited atoms in here if you're going to have a laser. Then an interesting phenomena takes place. And that is this. You, if you can think of an atom excited, which means electrons are going fast out in this outer orbit, randomly they'll fall back to the normal orbit and give off a photon of light. But if they're excited and a photon of light of the right color comes waltzing by, it makes the electrons fall down right then. And they give off their photon right in sync with the, the photon that was going by. And that's the magic that makes lasers possible. Okay, so here comes a photon. This one's excited, so it goes down. With the helium inside that tube, there are a lot of excited ones, so it gets stronger and stronger and stronger as it goes down the tube. And then on the end of the laser, you put mirrors. And they can't just be normal mirrors like you comb your hair with because they've got to be very, very, very good mirrors. So they use a technology we call dielectric mirrors where they put coatings of dielectric materials and it makes a mirror that's like 99 plus percent reflective. And so that reflects the light back and forth through and the beam gets stronger and stronger and finally it's strong enough it starts leaking out through the mirror and you've got your beam. So that's how you make a laser. Now the next thing that's important is what can you do with a laser? Well, today we're sending you Science Live with a laser. We're using a laser shooting into a thin strand of glass to send our message out to everybody at very high rates. So that's the kind of thing you can do. And when you send information over a light beam, we call putting that information on the light beam modulating the light beam. And modulating just means you turn the light on and off. Only you turn on and off in such a way, like if we were painting the screen, we could turn it on when we want a color, and we could turn it off when we don't want a color. You can send all this information digitally over this light beam by modulating it. The problem is, when you get far enough down the fiber, the light starts getting dimmer and dimmer and dimmer, and pretty soon, you have to stop, turn this, the, the information back into digital data, and then you have to remodulate another laser to send it the next leg. So actually, our data is going through lots of lasers to get to wherever you are. And it's kind of expensive to demodulate the light and then remodulate it. Each of those jumper stations are kind of expensive. So when I was in high school, I got this idea. What if I could amplify a laser beam with all the data still encoded in it without demodulating it? So I could just put a little laser amplifier in and it would do some great things. So I built a laser with helium neon gas inside a tube, and the tube had windows on the end because I had to go out to mirrors or in my amplifier, I didn't even need mirrors, I just had to pass it through. But I had to let the light in and out without losing very much light. And if you put mirrors on the end of a tube to hold the gas in and you shoot the laser beam on it, when it hits the mirror, excuse me, when it hits the window, a lot of it reflects. 
and I didn't want to lose all of that light. And so I made the windows out of a special glass, quartz glass, and then I put it at an angle. I put the windows at an angle. And you say, well, why would you do that? Well, it turns out that for a particular color of light, you can calculate an angle where almost none of it gets reflected. And it's invented by a guy named Brewster, so we call it Brewster's angle. <laughs> and the angle's different for each frequency of light, but you calculate Brewster's angle, and I had to cut off the ends of my glass tube with the glass saw, and I glued with a special epoxy I glued these quartz windows on there, then I put the gas in, put a vacuum, put the gas in, rinse it out several times, get all of the air out, and then I needed a way to excite it. That's what the Tesla coil's doing here. I had my tube, it had the helium neon in it, I just needed to fire it up and see if it would work. And I didn't have a Tesla coil. I didn't have any electrodes in there, so I couldn't hook a neon transformer up to it, neon sign transformer. So guess what I did? What'd you do? I hooked it up to my ham radio transmitter. <laughs> I did. I put <laughs> tinfoil around the glass on one end and tinfoil around the grass on the other end. And then I turned on my ham radio transmitter and I had a thing called a matchbox. That's not a box of matches. That's a box with coils in so you can tune your transmitter to your antenna. And I tuned it to my tube, and the tube just glowed like a neon sign. And then I put it in the mirrors, and I had to, I spent quite a while trying to get it aligned just right, and all of a sudden, I got a laser beam out of my little tube. How big was it? It was about this long. Would you call that 35 centimeters? Okay, 18 inches. <laughs> anyway, it was about that long. Now, the interesting thing was, can I take a modulated light beam from a helium-neon laser, and can I amplify it going through that tube? And that was my hypothesis. That was my theory. That was my goal. I was in the 11th grade. I had tried to build the hydrogen engine for the second time and had failed in the 11th grade. So this is my fallback project. And the science fair came, and I had my little laser lasing, but I had not yet been able to see if it would amplify a laser beam while still modulated because I didn't have another laser to try it with. So I went to the science fair and uh, won a couple prizes, which were nice. You know, I always like prizes. <laughs> um, and lo and behold, that very same approach of just using a laser amplifier is what they're using now in the, some of the fusion experiments where they shoot one laser divided into a lot of paths with prisms. So they get a lot of light beams out of it so they're all synchronized and then they go in through reflectors. They have these big laser amplifiers. Theirs are like 30 feet long, I believe. And then all of the light signals hit a little target of a fusion fuel that they drop and it, and it implodes. It, it hits it with so much power that it kind of explodes and pushes a force in to ignite the heavy hydrogen in there, like the sun does, to do fusion. And they've actually been able to create 
small amounts of fusion that way. Now, so far, they're using more power to power all those lasers than they get out. So it isn't, it isn't a way to power your car yet, but oh, it's, yeah. it's kind of fun. And it's, it's neat to think that's the same science that they were doing back in my high school years and years ago. So when I see this neon in here being, becoming excited, ionizing, glowing, giving off those photons as light as the electrons fall back into the normal orbital, it's pretty exciting to me. Do you think that happens to me when I get excited, I put off light? <laughs> what do you think? If you say it does, I'm sure it does. <laughs> Can I glow? I want to glow. <laughs> yes, you may glow. Here, just grab this Tesla coil <laughs> and you will glow in the dark. You actually can make it spark to you, but I don't recommend it. Does that hurt? So if, if I would know whether or not it hurts, that means I've tried it. <laughs> and yes, it does. <laughs> so one of the students wants it to know. It kind of burns. Does it burn? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Not right. a good idea. Okay, I won't do it. Um, when you hook your everything up to the lemon, mm -hmm. and you hold the lemon, and you put the electricity in, does it spark? Does it put off a little zzz? The Tesla coil fill. or just this? The lemon. Well, actually, the voltage is so small uh -huh. that it's not enough to fill a spark. But <clears throat> if you've ever taken a 9-volt battery and held it on your skin, you can't fill it. Right. <laughs> I have some people that. know you can test a 9-volt battery, it. see if it's good on your tongue. I don't recommend that. It hurts. That's why we have voltmeters, okay? That does but hurt. But just think about it. If you hooked... A hundred lemons up in series. That's One, what they're wondering too. Another, yeah. another, another, and you start getting up to a high enough uh -huh. voltage. Pretty soon, you'll get to a voltage where it will shock you. When you touch the lemon, well, no, you just touch the wire coming out, or touch the wire coming out. Yeah, we should try that, huh? We be pretty, wouldn't it? All those lemons. But you know, <laughs> do you really want to be shocked? <laughs> I have tried the battery, and it does hurt, and it's not fun. <laughs> it's, it's too bad we're not out of time right now. <laughs> You're going to do something to me? <laughs> you know, uh, <clears throat> coils. Uh -huh. So we have a transformer here. Right. We have a few windings and a lot of windings. Um, they make transformers like that sometimes for audio speakers. And okay. they used to make almost all the audio speakers on a radio like that. And I used to take the transformers off. And so I'd hook them up to a little battery. And when you would connect them, they didn't do anything. But when you disconnected the battery, they would put out pulse that would go through the secondary coil, and you could get a voltage high enough that it'd give you a good shock. When you disconnected it. And so, yeah, what I would do <laughs> is I put a piece of cardboard on my hand, double stick tape, and then I put two wires down my sleeve onto two pieces of tin foil. And I ran them back to the secondary coil. And then in my pocket, I had the battery so I could push the wire on and off, and I would shake hands. <laughs> and I found out. Yeah, it, I like it. was it. research. I found out that is not how you make friends with girls. <laughs> Doesn't work. That's only what nervous boys do. Doesn't work, you know. Uh, uh -huh. You'd think if, uh -huh. they, if they love science like I do, I love science. that would work, <laughs> didn't. 
didn't work with guys either. It just doesn't, anyway. But, but it, it was worked, shocking. But it worked. It did work, yeah. And, you know, some of you have seen those little books that you open them up and they shock yeah, you. Yeah, I've done that you know? too. It's not fun. Well, it's kind of that thing. But it's interesting that the way you do it is by having two coils, one with a few windings and one with a lot of windings. So you multiply the voltage. And then when you hook up the battery, if you touch it, it doesn't shock because no current flows through between the two coils unless the magnetic field is decaying or being formed. That's the only time it generates a current because it's a magnetic field cutting the, the wires in the winding. But boy, when you disconnect it, and it's the same way in the ignition system of a car. You put in a spark, I mean 12 volts into the coil, and when you disconnect the points, then you get a spark right then, and that's what fires the cylinders. Wow. Electricity is really interesting. It and is. you know, when you learn how electricity works, you can do things. Mm -hmm. I love that neon cube with that. Yeah. that is Would you neat. like to hold it? I'd love to hold it. Okay, how was that? Finger. <laughs> You're going to get complaints calling me names. Here, you take that. <laughs> please, please just take that away. <laughs> You're nervous. I am. I don't want to get in trouble. I should induce you to my sister Susan. She's kind of nervous too. That is neat. Yeah, it is neat. That I think we really should look neat. at it again because. I think so too. Yeah. That's just So neat. this is a piece of uh, plastic. Uh -huh. You know, you actually can buy this plastic in a resin. Uh -huh. And uh, some of the resins you put A and B together. But whatever kind of resin you, you put it in and pour it let it set up and it becomes a cube. And you know, some people put spiders and all kinds of mm -hmm. things in here. Some people put little glass tubes of helium. That is neat. And other things. So there is a piece of glass tube. By the way, I, this is gonna be real hard to see. I get it down in front of my sweater, there we go. Can you see that little point on the tube? Uh-huh, I can. On the glass tube? Mm -hmm. The way you do that is you take the piece of tubing and put it into a flame of a mm -hmm. glass blowing torch and you turn it until the glass gets very hot and starts to melt and then you stretch it and it narrows down and then you just melt it apart and that's how you, you sew the tube. That's neat. Yeah. Glass blowing is, is really, really neat. You know how to do that. I do you? know how to do that. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we're going to see if we can get it going. Tesla coil, fired up again. And let's see if we can bring this in here. Can you see it? Can you oh, see it? Not yet. What happened? The Tesla coil died. Look at that. It's because I held it, isn't it? What, what did she do to our Tesla coil? <laughs> Make sure we got everything coil, tight. Did you notice I turned that off before I I did <laughs> notice that. You're so wise. Yeah, so chicken. Hmm? No, it's and not now chicken. We're going nice. to pull this back in here. Because I held it, I apologize. Yeah, I don't oh, know what, there, there she goes. Go. There it goes. She did touch it. I did. And I guess that answers our question on whether that would make a difference. <laughs> My true nature's it. coming through. <laughs> yeah, it was having a hard time finding that, wasn't it? But I think we got to go now. Can you see it in there? Yep, you can. Look at that. So right you can see there. how it's lit you up. You really can. And that orange color is the color that neon makes. And from the testicle, can you smell the ozone? Mm-hmm, I can. Because that spark is causing ozone to be formed. 
Ozone is oxygen, which is two oxygen molecule, molecules glued together, mm -hmm. combined with a third one. O3 is ozone. It's like what? When and lightning it smells. Hits. Mm -hmm. yep. And when lightning hits, it makes nitric oxide too, which that smells not creates fertilizer. Nitric oxide doesn't smell. <laughs> Nitrogen dioxide smells. I like the ozone. Nitric smell. oxide mm -hmm. is when air, which is nitrogen, uh -huh. and oxygen, which is, excuse me, which is also in air, mm -hmm. when they connect together and they form NO, NO, no. nitrogen oxide, mm -hmm. it doesn't smell. It's not necessarily good stuff, but it doesn't smell. But then as it floats around the air and the sun shines on it, it reacts with another oxygen molecule and forms nitrogen dioxide, N with two O's, N2O, nitrogen dioxide, which is a brown gas, which really stinks, and if you smell it, it burns your nose. And if it comes in presence of water, it turns into nitric acid, which is why when you, you smell it, it smells kind of funny because you have moisture in your body and you're creating Nitric acid. You're so smart. Not very nice. Mm -hmm. You really are. Really? <laughs> you are. Could We're I get that? Lucky, could I get we? that on tape? Yeah. You're so smart. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did you know that if you put copper mm -hmm. into nitric acid, it behaves differently? I didn't know that. That if you it like do? put zinc and hydrochloric acid, it you gives know. you. I do know. You know why? Because I study chemistry. Learning the personality of the atoms yes. is a wonderful thing. He talked, Joseph talked about how hydrogen, you know, only has one electron mm -hmm. and it has these properties. It'll ignite with air and, and burn or explode. And if you add one more electron and one more proton in the nucleus, hydrogen becomes helium. Helium's an inert gas, it won't burn. And if you add one more electron, one more neutron, then you get lithium. And so you keep changing the material just by adding the, an identical electron and an identical proton. It's just It's really, really interesting. It and is. you get all the building blocks with all the different properties. And the reason you get the different properties is because in the outer shell of the electrons floating around, mm -hmm. you have some that are missing, some they're not. In a normal orbital around an atom, and I'm, for you guys that are technical, I'm talking about a p orbital, it wants to have eight electrons. If it has seven, it wants one bad. <laughs> and so it will go still one from someone like hydrogen. Hydrogen has one, and it, it's willing to give it up because its, its shell isn't stable. It's all about those electrons and making them stable in the outer orbital. And that's how chemists are able to make our lives so wonderful. Inventioneering. Inventioneering. I love science. Yes. I love the power that it gives us yes. to do things in our lives. And I could tell you about a lot of projects I've done, like the button, the single button you push to fill my hot tub in one minute. <laughs> I mean... When we all like to see that. <laughs> well, I'm a little bit ashamed to think that I spent time doing that. <laughs> but it's, it's fun, place. and it's yeah. fun to be able to. Yeah, so why not? get these science fair projects going. Science rocks. Science rocks. And rolls. 
I know. <laughs> and it sure is nice you could show up tonight. You know, I... It's really nice to have you here. Thank, Thank you. you. We'll see you next time. <laughs>